Thanksgiving is an American holiday, celebrated by the Canadians and by members of the United States. It's an autumn celebration, which comes at the end of the harvest time. And it's celebrated in the month of November. In Canada, which is colder, maybe that's why they do it earlier, it's on the second Monday. In the U.S., it's on the fourth Thursday in November. When the English pilgrims came in 1620, they settled in to New England, as they called it, and after a year of working the land and having a harvest, they joined with their Native American neighbors, the tribe called Wampanoag, and together they gave thanks for the produce of the field and also for the safe crossing of the Atlantic. And so that's why Thanksgiving contains a mixture of European and Native American traditions. And I won't remind you of all those, uh, but for those of us who have grown up in this part of the world, we probably have lots of childhood memories of uh, sweet potatoes and turkey and uh, pumpkin pie and so forth. Now, my wife and all of our relatives on the British side have no such memory. And so I'm kind of caught between cultures. Sometimes we celebrate Thanksgiving, and other times it really seems to be a non-event. But it certainly is event an event if you live in the U.S. or Canada. But something has changed. Whereas originally it was a true celebration for the bounty of the land, for the harvest, it became in time something that was much more self-focused. Growing up in the United States myself, I have many memories of just eating so much that I could hardly walk. As a boy, I was never big on stuffing what goes inside the bird, but what I enjoyed was stuffing myself with three, four, five, sometimes up to seven helpings of turkey. And so with that in mind, I'd like to share a little poem. I didn't write it. Um, a girl named Lauren wrote it. But here you go. "'Twas the night of Thanksgiving, but I just couldn't sleep. I tried, tried counting backwards. I tried counting sheep. The leftovers beckoned, the dark meat and white, but I fought the temptation with all of my might. Tossing and turning with anticipation, the thought of a snack became infatuation. So I raced to the kitchen and flung open the door and gazed at the fridge full of goodies galore. I gobbled up turkey and buttered potatoes, pickles and carrots, beans and tomatoes. I felt myself swelling so plump and so round till all of a sudden I rose off the ground. I crashed through the ceiling, floating into the sky with a mouthful of pudding and a handful of pie, but I managed to yell as I soared past the trees, happy eating to all, pass the cranberries, please. May your stuffing be tasty, may your turkey be plump, may your potatoes and gravy have nary a lump. May your yams be delicious. May your pies take the prize. May your Thanksgiving dinner stay off of your thighs. Well, a little piece of humor to remind us that Thanksgiving is not supposed to be a self-directed, uh, gluttonous feast, but a time of God-directed gratitude. What does the Bible say about Thanksgiving? Well, of course, it's, it's a modern celebration if it only dates to the 1600s. And yet, as we know, many books of the Bible uh, urge us to live a life of gratitude. 
Many of the Psalms express gratitude. I'll just read a couple. Psalm 69:30. Oh, all of these are in the notes, by the way. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Or 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. There's a strong current in the Old Testament on giving thanks to God. It's not just in the Psalms. You'll find psalms and songs of thanksgiving throughout the Old Testament scriptures. What's true of the old is also true of the new. And I think nowhere more is this the case than in Luke's gospel, where to me, at least, it seems that gratitude is a major theme. Luke's gospel is full of stories of people responding appropriately or inappropriately to God's action in their life, with gratitude or without gratitude. Well, I think of chapters 18 and 19. We have the rich man who has this wonderful opportunity to follow Jesus, but he turns away because of his wealth. That's chapter 18. Then in Luke 19, we have Zacchaeus who goes out of his way to see Jesus. He extends himself and gives hospitality and and is willing not just to receive from the Lord, but to give to others. And I think Zacchaeus uh, embodies the right spirit of thanksgiving. But I'd like us to look at two other chapters in Luke. First, chapter 7, and then chapter 17. Chapter 7, I'll begin in verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Let's just pause there. We have three characters. Jesus, the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, and the woman, who is sometimes identified with Mary Magdalene. And the woman is extremely um, effusive in expressing her emotions. Uh, She's uh, anointed his feet with um, an alabaster jar of perfume, something that would be very expensive indeed. And yet she's crying. She's standing behind him. And the teardrops are falling, I presume, because of her gratitude. And I think that's the way, uh, uh, it seems to be the same way Jesus looks at it. And then she she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Well, this public display of of such expression offends the Pharisee. And I think the Pharisee just recoils at the thought of, of this sinful woman touching Jesus. You know, it's easy to despise those who energetically express their gratitude. I think of David's wife, Michal, in the Old Testament. Second Samuel 6, Michal sees David celebrating before the Lord with all of his might. And he goes too far, she thinks. He should be more reserved, more collected, more cool, more calm. She's offended. And I think that spirit of Michal is very much in the spirit of of Simon. Jesus answers him 
And it's interesting because he answers not a question, he answers his thoughts because the Lord could, could read minds. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Okay, so we have two debtors. One owes 50 denarii, which would be the equivalent of about seven weeks of work, seven weeks of labor. The other, 500. So imagine your income in 70 weeks, a year, and four and a half months. That's a lot of money. So which one would love him more for the debt being remitted? Simon replied, I suppose the one with the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Of course he of course he did. What's the point? Then the Lord turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus tells this little story, this little parable. Simon falls right into it. Well, of course, the one who's forgiven more is more appreciative. And that is the woman. It's not the Pharisee. In fact, Simon didn't offer water, which would have been customary for, for washing the feet. He didn't offer a kiss. Uh, very recently, I was in Bethlehem, and I saw someone I, I've met a number of times over the years. The greeting was a kiss. That was a standard kiss. Nothing strange about that. That's common in Arab culture. And as a result, the Lord says, and you can see the different hearts, the different attitudes here. The Lord says that her sins are forgiven, implying that the Pharisees' sins are not. And the other guests murmur. And so, who is this who even forgives sins? Imagine the tension in the room. The woman feels it. She's a sensitive soul. And Jesus reassures her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a wonderful Thanksgiving story that tells me not to look down on those who may be expressing their, their joy and their gratitude to the Lord in ways that seem unseemly or ways that I might do. For example, I'm not much of a dancer, really. I mean, I, lo I love to sing. Uh, when it comes to moving my body physically, uh, I'm not so good at that. Uh, it's easy for me to, to discount that form of expression. However, for other people, Perhaps they're, they, uh, they're more like the woman, very expressive, and they tear up or they cry easily, unlike me. They may look, may look down at brothers and sisters like yours truly who have a harder time expressing and, and releasing emotion. We shouldn't be judging each other's motives and thinking that, that one expression is inferior to another. We also see that this woman is willing, in her expression of thanksgiving, to make a sacrifice this alabaster jar perfume was expensive. 
And when you look at other versions of the story, you may recall that she is severely criticized because this money could have been uh, uh, given to the poor if the uh, jar, uh, the small jar had been sold. But it was not. And Jesus actually says, she's prepared for my burial. She's done a beautiful thing. And wherever she goes in this world, uh, this story will be told of her. I don't know, I'm blending together the different stories, but you'll find a version of this in each of the four Gospels. It's a wonderful story of Thanksgiving, how Thanksgiving uh, requires a sacrifice. It doesn't require it as an obligation, but as a natural expression. And when people are expressing their gratitude, we shouldn't look down on them. It's not so much the form we should be critiquing, it's the heart we should be looking at. Feeling emotion is good. The other story, it's a shorter story from Luke 17 that also illustrates the power of gratitude. Verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This story begins as Jesus is already on the way to Jerusalem to die, and he's on the border between Samaria and Galilee. If you imagine ancient Palestine, Galilee is in the north, Judea is in the south, and Samaria is in between. So he's moving south to Jerusalem, and so it's not surprising that this group of lepers would include a Samaritan. Ten had leprosy, all sincerely desire cleansing. If you've ever spent much time around lepers, you can imagine how much it would mean to them to be cured of such a disfiguring disease. And they ask for pity. Well, Jesus doesn't cleanse them immediately. He requires something of them. That's pretty common with the Lord. He'll give us a blessing, but we need to do something in order to collect it, to receive it. And that is, go show yourselves to the priests. And so when they do that, in that process, they're cleansed. But only one comes back. And like the woman in the first story, he's very effusive in his expressions of thanks. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, demonstrably, visibly grateful. And he's the Samaritan. He's not the member of God's people. He's one who's a member of a race and a religion that was deviant, that was compromised, one who was despised, rejected as a pariah. We see this in other places in Luke's writing where the Samaritans look better than the Israelites, better than God's people. Where were the other nine? I remember one time, I share about this in uh, the evangelism book, Shining Like Stars, my brother and I were attending an evangelism conference. And the speaker got up and he said, evangelism is a good thing. However, nine in ten people don't have that natural ability. Only one 
10, only 10%, the experts say, have the gift of evangelism. So, you know, you don't have to take it so personally if you're not evangelistic. Well, I, I thought this is crazy. When that message was over, we left. We weren't going to be called higher for someone justifying uh, 10% gratitude. Because at that time, I was a young Christian, not even a year old as a Christian. But I certainly knew the story of the 10 lepers. And that registered. Yes, you're right, I thought to the speaker. I thought of saying to him, 10% are grateful. But it's not that the 90% can't help it. It's that they lack gratitude. At any rate, this Samaritan comes back to Jesus. Jesus was on the move. If you know, um, he's, uh, he's on the move. I, I, did it take effort for the Samaritan to find the Lord? I don't know. But he came back, and what's emphasized here is that he's shown thanks. He's a foreigner. He's an outsider. But this is what it means to truly have faith. True faith includes thanksgiving. 